Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Praise God for what He can do, amen? How He takes the old and makes it new. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I've been thinking about this new year, and you know what I've come to realize? New years aren't always what they're cracked up to be, are they? I'm finding 2023 has the same issues that I dealt with in 2022. Isn't that weird? I just, it begs the question, is there anything truly new? Didn't King Solomon ask that in the book of Ecclesiastes? Was it chapter 1? Is there anything new under the sun? Anybody watch HGTV? House Hunters International? Beachfront Paradise? You know those shows? It's, it's like the same, same template every episode. There's this different couple and you get their bio, their introduction. It's like, meet the Miller family. They're tired of living in the suburbs, the rat race. The early mornings to work, the long commute. They're busy, 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 don't have time for their kids. They're looking for a change. They're looking for something new, which is why they're going to fly across the sea and move to Spain, because they want their kids to have a good cultural experience. They're looking for a fresh start in a new community with new people and new customs and new languages, and they want to get rid of that old life that they had in the suburbs that was way too fast and way too busy. They're looking for a change. So they sit down with the real estate agent in Spain, and it's always the same conversation. Don't you notice that? All right, what are you looking for? Well, we're looking for a guest room because obviously we're going to have a ton of family and friends travel across the ocean to Spain to stay with us all the time, so this is a must. Uh, we're looking for all the square footage and all the amenities that we had back in the States, back in Canada. We're looking for it all, and we want it all in a $1,000 a month budget. And the realtor says, well, that's going to be really hard, but we're going to look. And they present three different options, each with three different check boxes. And this one is closer to where they want to be, but it's over budget. And this one's closer to the beach, but it needs some renovations. And this one seems perfect, but oh wait, it's whatever. And at the end of the episode, they got to make a decision. And then it shows like three to six months later how it's playing out for them. You know what I find interesting about those shows? They usually end the episode with a vague semblance of the dream that they started the episode looking forward to, didn't they? They're into a big renovation. They're over budget. People have not come to visit like they thought initially because of all these renovations they've got to get accomplished. And I just wonder, moving to a new country and making all those changes, I wonder if they saw all the old things that they struggle with just follow them to the new place. We need a change in life, a change in pace. We want to spend more time with our kids, so we're going to move to Hawaii. And they live happily ever after. Does that ever happen? I don't think so. The old and the new. Here's my question. Is anything truly new, fresh, exciting, untainted? Or is it just the same old? 
there's nothing new under the sun. So here's what I hope to do today in the time we have left in the service before we get to cafe. I want to go through the whole book of Colossians. <laughs> Can we do that? Colossians chapter one, let's go. It's going to be quick. This is going to be a skim job. But I've been blown away by how Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church that he never met before writing the letter, that he didn't found, talk about new, right? Paul's a noob to Colossae. He writes this letter and he talks about how Jesus Christ makes things new. And the old habits that we get caught in trying to attain the new. And how we need to put off the old self and put on the new. And then in chapter 4 at the end, he gives us this breathtaking example of what it looks like in our relationships. So you ready? Chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. In chapter 1, Paul starts with a greeting. He gets in two prayers for the church. The first one is that they would grow, that they would continue to grow. Isn't it interesting how when we come to Christ, you know, a lot of times that's where we get stuck and we don't go any further? Jesus calls us to grow, to, to follow him, that we wouldn't just stamp our ticket to heaven, but daily we would exercise our salvation, which is called sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ day by day. Paul's second prayer is praying for the preeminence of Christ over the church, that he would be first, that he would be the head of the church, as we know he is, the church, his body. And then he gets into this really beautiful theology about who Christ is and how Jesus can make things new. How do we know that Jesus can make things new? Well, let's look at it. Verse 15 to 17. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Next week, we're going to get into the Gospel of John. And in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Jesus is not just the baby that was born in the manger 2,000 years ago. He's also fully God, which means he's the creator. He was active and evident in the days of creation. He is the king of creation. Jesus can make things new because he played a role with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creation. He created everything we see. It was for him, by him, through him, and because of him, nothing was made that was made without him. It's all through Jesus. He made everything new in the first place. Look at verse 18. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. Now, the previous verses we read said that he was the firstborn of creation. Look at this term. Verse 18. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. He might be first place. So he's the firstborn over creation, meaning that Jesus wasn't born and then creation happened. No, Jesus was there before creation. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God, everlasting, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That's when we celebrate Easter. Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus is the first to have ever raised from the dead in his own power. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, and therefore he's the head of the church. 
So when Jesus created creation with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, he made all things physically new. Then when Jesus rose from the dead in the resurrection, he gave us the power and he made all things spiritually new. That's why Jesus can make things new. That's why new life is found in Christ. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. That's the redemptive story. We were created. Jesus rose again to give us new life, to give us spiritual life. Now let's jump in to chapter 2. And Paul deals with some old habits. Have you noticed how New Year's resolutions are difficult because you just want to do what you're used to doing? Those old habits seem to die hard. and They just carry over into the new year. The same old habits. The same old issues. Look at verse 6. Here's the first habit that the church in Colossae was dealing with. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Trusting Christ is not just some knowledge that we attain to, some decision we make. It actually translates into how we walk and how we act. And we're going to dig into that as the book goes on. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here's the, uh, what did we talk about? Old habit. Here's the old habit that they get stuck in. See to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty words, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The Colossians lived in this Greek culture of philosophy, mysticism, Greek mythology, polytheism. The idea of the day was, your God is great, I'm going to add him into my understanding of life and spirituality. Here's what it looks like today. I'm just going to add a little bit of Jesus into how I'm living my life now. Have you heard that testimony? Have you heard people give that story? Yeah. On Sundays, I go to church. Sunday is for Jesus. Monday through Saturday is when, you know, I do everything else that I enjoy in my life. I'm just going to take this little compartment here, put Jesus in it, and then all these other compartments in my life are for me, but that one's for him. I'm just going to add a little bit of Jesus in. It doesn't work, does it? There's something about putting off the old life and taking on the new where it's a complete change. You can't keep on the old clothes and then slip one sleeve of the new garment on your other side. It doesn't work like that. You take one off, you put the other on. It's all Jesus or no Jesus. An understanding of spirituality where 10% is Jesus and 90% is Dragon crystals and Buddhism and New Age and evolutionism, it just doesn't seem to work. Jesus is either Lord of your life or he's not. He has your whole heart or he doesn't. There's no in between. The other old habit that these Colossians fell into is in verse 16 of chapter 2. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So one of the old habits was because of the Greek culture that they were in. The other old habit that held on was the Jewish tradition, the laws, 
the rules, the old covenant that seemed to creep in. It's this idea that if I follow the rules, if I follow the laws, if I perform at a certain level, then I will attain this new life. Then I will attain true spirituality. If I follow all the rules. Haven't you heard that testimony about churches? Hasn't the evangelical church in Atlantic Canada gained that reputation? It's just all about rules. You come to church and they're going to tell you, don't, 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 don't do this, don't do that. It's all about don'ts. The Bible's full of don'ts. It's just a bunch of rules. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Verse 21. Does this sound familiar? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. I've got to remind myself that that can't be the only thing I tell my kids when we're in the church building on a Sunday with our church family. Don't touch. Be quiet. Don't do that. Sit down. Verse 22. Referring to things that all perish away as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They look good. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism, that's like strictly following the rules, subjecting your body to this disciplinary approach. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do more. Asceticism, severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Haven't you heard the testimony where the kid grew up in church, his parents told him to follow all the rules. I don't know what went wrong. And they rebelled in their teenage years and they won't have anything to do with church. Well, it's because their experience of Christianity was just rules and regulations. Being a Christian means I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't go to those places, I don't look at this. That's Christianity. Well, if you only talk about what it's not, how do you ever know what it is? And we get excited in church because, oh, Johnny's in church this Sunday and he quit smoking, he quit drinking, and he quit, he quit sleeping around, praise God. Yeah, but does he know Jesus? Does he know the love of a father who adopted him and died for his sins when he was at his worst? Not when he cleaned up his life and put on his collared shirt to come to church with his grandma, but when he was at his worst. It makes for a hollow Christianity, doesn't it? It might look good on the outside, but what is it on the inside? Dead man's bones, Jesus calls it. You whitewash sepulchers. You polish the gravestone, but you're dead. Colossians chapter 3. So Jesus created this new life out of nothing. He resurrected to give us new spiritual life. These old habits seem to hang on of trying to mix a little Jesus in or trying to accomplish our spirituality by our performance. Chapter 3. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, that resurrected new life, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You ever play hide and seek? You want to know a dirty little trick? Just tell your kids to count to 10 and then leave. (laughs) 
And you could be inside getting the dishes done, getting the laundry done, reading a nice book, and the kids are just out back running around the yard looking for you. (laughs) It's not very nice, is it? So why would Jesus do it to us? Why would he say, seek? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why, Why would he tell us to seek And then leave and be somewhere distant in heaven. And then verse 4, it says, when Christ appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's, that's kind of a, that's not very nice, is it? Seek me. I know you're not going to find me because, hey, I'm I'm way away someday in heaven when you die. And there's no way you're going to find me until I appear. And then, someday in glory, then you can experience new life. That wouldn't be very nice, would it? But that seems to be our approach to this passage quite often, isn't it? Seek your new life. I mean, you're not going to experience your new life until someday God calls you home and then, you know, you're in heaven and then you'll experience your new life. But between now and then, you're just looking for something that you can't find until the day of redemption when... I think that's, that's a wrong approach. Why would Jesus tell us to seek the things that are above, to set our mind on things that are above where our life is, if we could never experience that new life here and now. I want us to think about that. This is where a lot of us tend to get it wrong, and it makes for a really lame Christianity. It's like sitting outside the train station with our ticket punched for that glorious express to heaven someday, and right now we're just sitting, twiddling our thumbs and waiting for that day when God would call us home. That's makes for some pretty jellyfish Christianity, I would say, wouldn't it? Sitting on the sidelines, just waiting. Can we live the new life now? How do we do that? Well, through Jesus, we put off the old life, we put on the new life. Paul uses this example of clothing. At the end of the day, you take off the old dirty clothes, And as the new day begins, you put on the new clean clothes. The old man, you take off. The new man, you put on. And then he explains how we are to do that. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that, you have put off the old self with its practices. Doesn't that sound like performancism? Doesn't that sound like legalism? Just stop. Just don't. Don't do this. Put it off. Stop doing that. Let's dig a little further. Verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Doesn't that sound like Romans 12 too? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. Renewed in your mind. What does it mean to be renewed? I think it's all tied up in this term. What word do you hear within the word when I say the word renewed? New. Do you know what it means? It means to make new again. And again. And again, there's there's this cyclical aspect to the term renewed. See, there's this dual understanding that we need to get to, and it's positional and practical sanctification. So let me break that down. When you make a decision for Jesus Christ, 
And every, personal, every person in this room needs to make a personal decision either for Christ or the other side is not for Christ. And the decision is yours and nobody can make it for you. But when you make that personal decision to trust Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins, and then his resurrection from the dead that brings you new life, when you make that personal decision, two things happen. Positionally, you are righteous. You are made holy. You are a child of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your sins are blotted out as far as the east is from the west. That happens the moment you make that decision and that will never change because the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption from now until kingdom come. Positionally, you are sanctified. When God looks at you, he sees the perfection and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not just covering your sins, but cleansing them. But then there's this practical sanctification that day by day, we are choosing to walk and to live out and to practice that newfound faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Practically, day by day, we are being made new. Day by day, we are being saved. And we get to practice this each and every day when we wake up and we decide what we're going to put on for the day. Have I lost you yet? If I have, can I invite you back? What does this look like? Let's get really practical. I love how Paul gets really practical. He set this book up just like Ephesians. This is like a sister book to Ephesians. Lots of similarities. The first two chapters are really theological, and then the last two chapters get really practical. And I mean like really specifically naming names, practicals, that. What does this look like in our relationships? In my home, with my family, at work, with my employees, what does this look like? That's where Paul goes next. Look at chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, you're not left out of this. Love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Everything, really? Yeah, everything. Reese and Jade aren't here to hear that. <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, uh-oh, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, in case Paul missed anything, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. Just flip to chapter 4. We'll look at the first verse. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Why would we submit to one another? Why would we love one another? Why would we be fair with one another? Why would we obey one another? It's because this is the outflow of the new life that Jesus has secured for us through his resurrection. This is what the new life looks like, and it is so countercultural to the family unit of the day. Because in this Greek culture, the man would hold the power of life and death over his wife, his kids, and his servants. And Paul says, no, no, no. The new way through Christ is mutual submission. 
You're going to obey you, and you're going to obey you, and you're going to submit to you, and you're going to serve you, and you're going to be fair to him, and she's going to be fair to you, and you're going to obey them. This is mutual submission. This is where we serve one another. And this is a new way of living that Jesus has outlined for us. Why would we do that? Why would we submit ourselves to that? It's not easy. Are people easy to serve? No. We do it. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And we get to make this decision daily to live as he lived. Serving, loving, humbly submitting, acting justly. This is the new life that Jesus calls us to. And then Paul doesn't stop there because Paul never stops there. He always pushes the bounds, calls people out. I want to point out a name that stuck out to me here. And you might recognize this name. We're going into the end of chapter 4 where Paul has his farewell and his closing benediction. He sends some greetings from different people to different people. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. Tychicus, I have no idea if that's how you're supposed to say that name, but I don't know if you know, so I'm just going to go with that. I've just found if you say it quickly and confidently, people don't question your pronunciation. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Those are the people who are easy to submit to, aren't they? Faithful, loving, caring, genuine. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Look at verse 9. mentions another name. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Does the name Onesimus sound familiar? Some of you know the story. You're nodding your head. Onesimus is a servant who stole from his master and ran away. Potentially, he got thrown in jail, and that's where he met Paul, because Paul is writing from jail. When he bumps into Paul, guess what? He bumps into the gospel, because Paul told everybody he ran into. And he trusted Christ as his Savior. Praise God. On the run, a convict, a slave, meets Jesus. And the old life is gone, And he embraces the new life. And Paul is sending him back to Colossae, where he came from, with Tychicus, carrying this letter to the Colossians. But he's got another letter tucked in his pocket. It's kind of like a postcard. It's only one chapter long. You know it as the letter to Philemon. Philemon was Onesimus' master, his employer. The one he stole from the one he ran away from, the one he probably thought and hoped he would never see again in his life. And Paul says, I'm going to send you back to him. You're going to carry this letter. Do you know what it says in the book of Philemon? Paul's writing to Philemon, who's a member of this church in Colossae, who just heard everything we skimmed over through the book of Colossians about the new life and how Christ makes all things new. We need to give up these old habits and put on the new life in Christ. And here's what it looks like to treat other people as Christ treated us. In Philemon, the book, Paul says to Philemon, the guy, you are going to receive Onesimus back 
even though he stole from you, even though he ran away, even though he broke your trust, you're going to receive him back. But this time, not as a slave, not as a servant, you're going to receive him back as a beloved brother. You know what I've found with New Year's resolutions? They're great until the going gets tough. <laughs> you know what I've found about working with people? They're great <laughs> until they're not. You know what I've found about moving to a new place? It's great until it snows, yeah. The new car, it's awesome, but your old habits about hitting everything in the parking lot make it not to be a new car that much longer. This new way of living isn't just for when times are good, when people are nice, when you feel like it. This new way of living Jesus calls us to is when it's radically difficult to forgive, to receive. And here's the last picture I want to give you. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how this old has been made new. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And that term behold is the Greek term gnosko. And I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but you're probably not going to question me on it because maybe you don't know. If I say it quick, we'll just move on. Gnosko. It means to see something in the future. Yeah, gesundheit. It means to see something in the future the way it could be and should be through Christ through the eyes of faith. Now that's a big elaborate definition, but it means to see through the eyes of faith. Philemon, you're no longer to see Onesimus as your servant who stole from you and ran away and broke your trust. When you look at Onesimus, you're supposed to look at him through the eyes of faith, the faith that he has received and responded to because he's no longer clothed in shame and guilt and sin. He's now clothed in the beautiful cleansed robes of righteousness and the banner of love that Christ has placed over him. So when you look at Onesimus, you don't see all the problems of the past. You see his newfound faith in Jesus Christ and you see him as God looks at him, as a beloved brother, an adopted child, somebody who Christ died for. You know that list that we went through in verse three or chapter three of how we're supposed to submit to one another? Wives submit because it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands love, Ephesians 5, because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Bondservants, obey. Why? Because you're fearing the Lord. Masters, act justly and fairly. Why? Because your real master is God in heaven. Why are we doing these things? We're not necessarily doing them for people, whether they deserve it or not. We're doing it because that's what Jesus did for us. The new way of living that he exemplified, that he gives us power to live through, through his resurrected new life power available to you and me through the power of the Spirit, this is the life that he calls us to. And in all that we do, we're doing it heartily as for the Lord. The new life Jesus calls us to is because of Jesus, through Jesus, because he makes all things new, and then it's for Jesus. Isn't that how we set our mind on things above? Isn't that how we seek our new life hidden with Christ? When our eyes are on Jesus. You know what I found? 
The more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I know about Jesus, the more time I spend meditating on Jesus, it just naturally translates into wanting to live like Jesus lived. It's really hard to flip that, trying to live like Jesus lived so that we can know and love Jesus more. That's, it's not the chicken and the egg thing. As we set our mind and heart and focus on Jesus, it translates into the way that we live. Okay, I've got to conclude. We're going to pray. We have cafe upstairs there. Uh, We're starting this new series next week in the Gospel of John. I want to encourage you. Would you dig into the Gospel of John? We're going to send out a reading reminder every Monday on what we're speaking on. We're going to have an outline. Would you read through the Gospel of John with us? We want to fall more in love with Jesus in this season. We want to set our focus on Jesus in this season. And we want to become all that he's calling us to become, following his example in this season. And that starts next week. Can I pray as we close the service? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. God, we thank you for our love for us, your love for us. Not after we cleaned ourselves up, but while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for the new life that you brought us because of your resurrection. This new way of living that you call us into is truly new and it's so countercultural and against the old ways that we've tried to find of doing things. God, you call us to the new. Help us to put off the old and put on the new because of your resurrection power. Not because of our trying harder, not because of our attempts, our legalism, our ways of trying to approach God, but because you came to us. You gave us the power. You give us the gift of faith. And you invite us and call us to more. Help us to be growing in our faith, Father. Jesus, daily, I pray, as we wake up, as we decide what we're going to put on, our attitude, our thoughts, our affections, our desires, God, would they all be focused on you? Jesus, thank you for our new life. God, I pray for those who may not have stepped into your new life. God, thank you that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you gave us this incredible exchange because of your son. That we can give up our rags of unrighteousness and put on garments of praise, garments of righteousness, washed white as snow because of Jesus death, burial, and resurrection in our place. Thank you, Jesus, that your performance equals our perfection. Thank you that it's not up to our performance, but you accomplished it in our place. Jesus, we thank you for this new life now and for this new year. We place it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.